This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Thank you. Have a seat. And again, welcome. If you're our guest today, welcome to Nags Head Church. And on this first Sunday of the year, and uh, I know a lot of people make resolutions and different things. I've kind of gotten away a long time ago from resolutions because I discovered if I make a resolution, by the time February rolls around, that it just ain't happening. You know what I mean? So, I, But we're going to talk today about goals and plans, and I think those are good things. So maybe today, maybe you're here today because one of your resolutions is I'm going to find a church. And uh, so we're glad that you're here, and um, we hope that you have a great, great time this morning with us. I'm going to start out the first Sunday of the new year with a question. I want you to look at this question. I want you to kind of in your own heart, in your own mind, answer this. You might even want to jot down the answer because we're going to come back to it a little bit later. But here's the question. What is likely to be my biggest challenge in 2016? What is going to be your biggest challenge this year? It may be in a relationship, it may be career, it may be retirement, it may be do we buy, do we sell, do we trade, it may be something with our kids, with our family. What's going to be your biggest challenge that you think that's coming this year in your life. Will you kind of think about that for a moment? And maybe, as I said, maybe jot it down somewhere where I'm not going to ask you to respond or anything like that. But just so you're thinking about that, come up with an answer and then store it in your hard drive for a little bit. Will you do that? All right, now, the, the truth of the matter is none of us knows what's going to happen this year beyond what's happening right now, do we? None of us has any, any inkling really you know, absolutely certain what's going to happen in the next 363 days. Now, I added that up. Today is the third, so we got 363 more days. And I know some of you are thinking there's only 365 days in a year. Not this year. It's a leap year. So we get an extra day. One more day in 2016 than we had last year. What's going to happen this year? Well, I really don't know. And that's why, because I don't know, that's why the future can be threatening. The future can be frightening because we don't know what's ahead. We're looking in that tunnel and we don't know what's going to be on the other side of it. And wherever human beings are involved, there is never a complete permanent security at anything. You can't count on the world. Wouldn't it be great if we said this year the world's going to be a better place than it was last year? You can't count on that. In fact, I don't see anything that promises it's going to be. I see things that maybe say it might not be as good as it was this past year. You can't count on there being world peace. You can't count on the economy. You can't count on the politicians regardless of who gets elected. You can't even count on the fact that your loved ones, who you have with you on January 3rd, are going to be here on December 31st of this year. One of the marks of a person who is emotionally mature is when that person begins to realize that most of what happens in the world around me, right here close to me and all around me, most of what happens in the world around me is out of my control. An emotionally mature person realizes that. An emotionally mature person accepts that I am not 
in control because I'm not God. You can't control everything that happens. Instead, what an emotionally mature person begins to do is that person begins to focus on the things that I know I can control, the things that I am responsible for. And you begin to accept the things that are out of your control and they're just out of my control and you don't, you know, you don't sweat those things. That's emotional maturity. And while there are many things that you cannot count on in this year, in 2016, there's one thing that you can count on. And that's kind of, if you get anything this morning, if you walk away with anything this morning, it's this point. God is in control. All right, so that, that's in your notes. Write that down. Get that down somewhere in your head. God is in control. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. I want you to read that with me. Let's read it together. Let's read it aloud, all right? Read it with me. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. You're exalted as head over how much? Over all. Yours, God, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty. What that verse is saying is this. The Bible's telling us that God possesses this this attribute that belongs to him. It's called sovereignty. It's what the Bible calls sovereignty. And we talk about God being in control. And that means very simply that he is the absolute authority in life. He's the ultimate ruler. He is in charge and he is in control. The Bible teaches, and it's plainly obvious, for example, that God's in control of nature. God created nature. He sustains nature. He overrules nature when he wants to and when he does overrule things, we call that a miracle. Some Ramon was talking about how warm it was Christmas time. Some might say, that's a miracle, you know? And others would say, no, it's man's fault. It's global warming. So whatever, God controls nature. And sometimes he intervenes. When he intervenes and something happens that opposes natural law, that's miraculous. God's in control of nature. God's in control of history. We are moving day by day, year by year, from the past, from the beginning, to what might be called a a climax in history. Life is not circular. We don't go over and over and over and over. If your life is over and over and over and over again, you need to see somebody to help you with that, right? Because life moves on. It's not circular, just repeating itself round and round. Life is linear, And history is moving toward a focal point, a grand climax. And that grand climax that God has designed and God has created is is the return of Jesus Christ. He's going to come back someday. And then one day there will be a judgment day. We know that's ahead. So history really is, you take that word, history is really his story, is what history is, because it's all what God has designed. Uh, That tells me that we're not just going through on this earth and in my life and in your life, we're not just going through some random acts um, and events that happen in life. It's not random at all. There's a grand design. There is a purpose. There is a plan, and God is in control of history. He's in control of nature. He's in control of history. But let's get more specific, and let's get personal for a moment. God is in control of your life. Whether you recognize that or not, But in many areas of life, you and I have absolutely no choice at all, do we? There are some things that we really have no choice. You didn't choose, for example, where you were born. 
How many of you made a choice? I want to be born in this city, in this town, in this state, in this hospital. None of us did. We weren't capable of that choice. That what choice wasn't ours, was it? We didn't choose, you didn't choose how tall you would be, how short you would be. Now, some of you chose what color hair you might have today, but we, you, you know, naturally you did not choose those kinds of things. You didn't choose uh, when you were born. I saw a neat thing on the news, maybe it was yesterday, a uh, set of twins that were born. Did you see that about the twins that were born? One was born on December 31st, like one minute to midnight, and the other was born like two minutes later on January 1st. So they're twins born different years. And, uh, but you didn't choose when you were born. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your nationality. You didn't choose your basic personality makeup. You didn't choose your, ma- your racial makeup. You didn't choose your talents. You didn't choose your abilities. You didn't choose the giftedness that God's given you. You didn't choose your interests. All those things were not things that you necessarily chose. And that's because every gene in your body, every part of your DNA was designed by God. And here's... I hope you grasp this. God designed, he created you to be you. He created you to be you. And he didn't make any mistakes when he did that. He created you to be you because he's in control. So here's the question that pops up when when we think about that. God is in control. All right, if God is in control, Rick, do I have any free choice at all? Do I have any say in the decisions of my life? Am I just kind of a robot? You know, and the answer is no, of course you have choices. You do have a freedom to choose. And that freedom to choose, frankly, is God's greatest gift that he gives to us next to Jesus Christ. But here's what I want to tell you about your choices, about my choices. They are limited. I don't have unlimited. Some of you, some of you like this. Some of you like to go to those buffets, all you can eat. You know what I mean? Unlimited. And I've been to some monster buffets. I went to one a few years ago. I think I might, might have told this story before, but, but I went to one a few years ago with Gail. It was a seafood buffet, and it was up in Norfolk. The place is not there anymore. It was there at Willoughby Spit. Some of you remember that buffet I'm, th- I'm thinking of. Went there, and I mean, they had like row after row after row of food. Seafood, chicken, beef, and their dessert thing was humongous. And I went there, and I said, I'm going to try a little bit of everything. I kid you not, before I could get to the dessert time, I was hurting. I was, I mean, I was in pain hurting. And I made the decision that night, I will never try to do that ever again in my life. And I, have, I don't like to go to buffets because the temptation is there. But when God made us and he gave us these choices, he didn't say, and your choices are limitless. They're not, they're limited. For example, if you were to play a chess game, any chess players in here this morning? Anybody here play chess? All right, more than the last gathering, so I know this is a far more intelligent crowd, but if you were to play a chess game, and let's say your opponent was was a grandmaster chess champion, world champion chess player, you could sit down at that chess game and that chess board with all those pieces. I don't play chess. I'm simple. I Checkers, yeah, red and black, I understand that. But you can move all those pieces every which way that was within the rules. By the way, the rules set out what? Limits. Uh, you can't, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't take that guy and put him over there, Rick. Put him back. You know, the rules set limits. But you could go crazy making all the moves that you could think of. But if you're playing somebody that is way, way above your level, the outcome of the game is not going to be in doubt. He's going to win and you're going to lose. You can make the moves. You have the freedom to choose, but 
the outcome of the game is certain. Or you could take a cruise, let's say to Bermuda, all right? That sounds nice right about now, doesn't it? Cruise to Bermuda. And so you get on this ocean liner and you're heading out straight out into the ocean to Bermuda. And you know, you're on that cruise ship and, and uh, if you've ever been on a cruise ship before, you know, you can go all the way up to the top deck. You can go down really far down in the bottom and the great, the great thing about cruises, and if you've been on cruise before, the great thing, here I'm talking about eating this morning. The great thing about cruises is that you can eat all day long, you know, and you can eat all you want. And you can sit down at the table at dinner where they give you the menu and you've got several choices. And if you want to, and I've been with people who have done this, they say, yeah, I want this main, I want this salad and a soup, or and I want this main course, and I want this and that, and this vegetable, and I want all four desserts. You know, I've seen people that do that before, and they just go crazy with that. You can go and you can, you can eat and you can play shuffleboard to your heart's content day and night. You can do whatever you want to, but you know what you can't do? You can't stop that ship. You can't keep that boat from going to Bermuda. Why not? Because you're not the captain. He's the one that gets it there. You're not even the first mate or the navigator. It's going to get to Bermuda regardless of what you do. So in life, you do have freedom to make choices and you're free to choose, but you're here, get this, please. I'm free to choose. I got freedom of choices and I'm free to choose, but please understand, I am not free from the consequences of my choices. If I make bad choices and bad things happen, that's not anybody's fault but whose? mine because I made some poor choices. You make choices in life every day and some choices we can make and some choices will be made this year that have the potential to ruin your life. We can make those choices. God's in control. For For a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, that's comforting news especially in a, in a world, the world that we live in today in 2016. I mean, did you, you watch the news the other night, New Year's Eve and, and things over in Germany and they're just high threats of, of explosions and bombings and all those kinds. Of, we live in a world that seems like it's spinning out of control. It's good to know God's in control. We face another 365, 63, 366 days this year when you don't know what in the world's gonna happen and we don't. But we do know that God's in control and that brings us great comfort. So what I want to do this morning is, is start, I'm going to give you two thirds of this message today. The third part, the last third is going to come in a couple of weeks, three weeks from now. But there are three things that you need to remember about God's control. First two are today. Number one, if you're taking notes, because God is in control, my plans will have a limit. My plans have, I'm not free to choose whatever and neither am I free to plan everything that happens. Now people will say, you've heard this expression before, the sky's the limit. Well, not really. That's not true because God puts a limit on all things and he sets the limits. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 says, many plans are in a man's heart, but the Lord's decree, what God decides, will prevail. Now, would you agree that things in your life, I can say this is true about me, things in my life don't always go as planned. 
Would you agree with me on that? Was that a pretty fair statement? I mean, some of you, we just came through the Christmas holidays and maybe some things that you had planned out for Christmas just didn't come together. Um, uh, I saw in the news the other day, Gail and I were sitting there watching the news and they were talking about because of all the storms that have been happening in the country, whether it's snow or thunder or tornadoes and all of those things, a lot of people's plans to get on airplanes and fly to different places were severely stunted and, and people were, they were in airports for a long time because they couldn't get to where they were going and they had this one, they interviewed this one woman and they, you know, she was, it was like she was having an emotional breakdown because she could not get on the airplane. She wasn't going to get to where she needed to be in time to celebrate Christmas or whatever, get to her job or whatever. And she would just fall into pieces because it was 10 hours and she was just, and you know, I'm, I'm a really merciful person. And I was really surprised when Gail, uh, we were watching that, and my wife looked at the TV and said, get a life, woman. You know what? So I need to help her with that this year, all right? But <laughs> I don't know where she got that from. She didn't used to be that way. <laughs> but she said, get a life. Um, you know, not everything is in your control, and, and um, they have limits. The Lord's decree will, will prevail. So things don't go just like we planned. God often has, you've discovered this, I bet, God often has a better idea than we come up with, and God often changes our plans and, and takes the things that we think are best, and he changes them so we can say, really, whatever plans I have, they're really at best tentative. We may make our plans, but it's God who has the last words. Now, how many have ever had, you can say, I can relate to that, Rick. How many of you ever said, I've had plans that God changed? Would you raise your hand? You ever had that happen in your life? I thought for sure it was going to go this way, but God had another idea. For example, how many of you, raise your hand, how many of you did not marry the first person you thought you would marry? Would you raise your hand and maybe necessary marry the second hand and maybe your foot, you know, I didn't, ra- I didn't marry the first person I thought I would marry. That's true with me. I entered my junior year of college pretty certain of who I was going to marry in September, but by the time the end of the school year rolled around in May, I had proposed to someone else because God had a different plan. Now, after much convincing she said yes, and later this year, Gail and I will celebrate 39 years of marriage. But I, I did not start out that year thinking I didn't even know her. God had a different idea. God had a different plan. God often changes our plans. And you know, one of my plans growing up was to be a professional baseball player. I loved baseball. I started playing when I was a kid and played into, into high school. And I said, I'm going to be a pro baseball player. I thought, by the way, let me just say to parents, your kid probably isn't that good either. I thought I was that good. You know, these parents, they, man, they get their kids and they're playing year-round and travel. Your kid's not that good. And uh, I thought, I'm mean, just telling you the truth, all right? Just read the stats. Your kid's not that good. How many NFL players have ever come out of Dare County, please? All right? Your kids. <laughs> how many Major League Soccer players have ever come out of Dare County? Um, your kid's not that good. I, I thought I was that good. And by the time I got to my junior year of high school and I hadn't made it past the JV team, I knew I ain't going to be a pro baseball player. So I dropped that plan. I said, I know what I'm going to do. My second choice, I'm going to be an attorney. 
I'm going to stand in the courtroom and I'm going to argue and present cases. And, and I was all stoked about that when I was 15 years old. But obviously I didn't do that either. Why? God had a different idea. God had a different plan for my life. We may make our plans, but our plans have a limit. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't have goals and that we shouldn't make plans. In fact, the Bible says you ought to make plans. The Bible tells us it's good to plan. Proverbs 16.9 says a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. You make the plans, but God's going to be, uh, pl- please understand, God's going to be, you're going to go God's way. Right? He's going to determine the steps. He's saying, don't be presumptuous. Don't say to God, I know exactly what I'm going to do this year, Lord, because you really don't know, do you? This year, our goal at Nag said Church, we have goals here at the church, and one of our goals, maybe our big goal this year as a church, is to be more intentional about helping, helping you mature as a believer. And so we're going to be inviting those of you who are interested in making that your goal, if you say, that's really what my heart desires, I want to grow, I want to be more mature in Jesus Christ, then we're going we're gonna to invite you to come to, uh, on Saturday morning, the 23rd, come to what we're going to call Step Up in 2016. We're going to meet right in here and for, from 10 to 1130, talk about this goal and talk about some things that, that we have planned uh, to be the next big step in our church and hopefully the next big step in your life. It's going to be about maturing. And maturity is a good goal, by the way, because we know that's also God's goal for all of us. God wants us all to grow up. The Bible says in Colossians 4.12, so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. Sometimes, you know, the reason why we sometimes doubt what God says and we doubt God's will. And the simple answer is, I'm not very spiritually mature right now because I don't understand what God wants me to do and I don't want to accept. Sometimes it's immaturity. And as you mature, you become as a believer, as you mature as a believer, you become more flexible. You become more open to change. You become more open to change without getting an ulcer. Right? You know what I mean? Some people, man, they just struggle with change. Again, somebody came in this morning who comes to church here every Sunday. I don't know who you are, but you walked in and saw the tables where your chair used to be, and, and you just froze, and you began to, you began to sweat. And you said, where, where am I going to go sit? I, I don't understand this. Um, part of being mature is that you can kind of go with the flow, and, and, uh, and things don't bother you so much. Uh, you know, uh, you realize how as you grow and you mature, one of the things you really, you young people listen to me, one of the things you realize as you mature is how little you knew when you were younger. As you grow, man, I didn't know as much as I, I thought I didn't. And you guys can relate to what I'm going to share here. The guys especially, you men. When I was 16, I thought I knew it all when I was 16 years old. I thought I got it all figured out and I also thought this, my dad is dumber than a mud fence. How many guys can relate to that? You know what I'm talking about? You thought you were smarter than the old man. And it's an amazing thing what happens over about the next five years from 16 to 21, and you get to 21, and you say, how did my dad get so smart all of a sudden? You know, you realize dad knows a whole lot more than I used to give him credit for. The older you get, the more you realize your plans, your best efforts are only tentative. 
And I'm not in control, but God is. And my plans have a limit. So make plans, church, listen, make plans, but the key to making plans is to cooperate with God. What is that? Well, if I'm going to cooperate with God, maybe the first thing I need to do is pray about my plans. Pray about my plans. When I say pray about my plans, I mean things like this. Because planning without prayer is presumption. If I don't pray, I'm just going to make these plans. I'm saying to God, I got it all figured out. I'm like that 16-year-old again. Planning without prayer is presumption. You ought to pray things like this. Lord, what do you want me to do? My role as a pastor here in this church is to be amongst our pastors. We have a team of pastors, and my role primarily is to be the the visionary guy. So my frequent prayer ought to be, as we go through the year all the time, Lord, what do you want us to do here at Nags Head Church? God, what do you want me to do? That's a good prayer for you as we enter the new year. Lord, ask him, Lord, what's the next step with my family? What's the next step with my business, with my career, with my job? Lord, what's the next step in this relationship that I'm currently involved in? Because the next step might be to go forward. The next step might be break it off. But Lord, what's the next step in this relationship? What's the next step, God, in the ministry that you have for me? What's the next step, God, in, in our finances as a family? Instead of praying, like we often pray, we often figure it out again. We divert back to being 16. I know what, everything I need to do, so I've already set my plans and decided what I'm going to do, and I say, and oh God, please bless what I'm about to do. That's backwards. Ask him, what is it that I should do? Get in on what God's doing in your life. God, help me do what you're blessing that means my plans have a limit. So here's what I want us to do. I just want to, I want to break for just a second. And I want us to have a time of prayer. I want you to pray. Now, I asked you at the beginning, what's going to be your biggest challenge in 2016? And you came up with something. And I told you to store it so you wouldn't forget it. Now I want us to just bow our heads just for a moment. And I want you to go to God. And we're just going to do this silently. But right where you sit, I want you to talk with God. And I want you to say to God, Lord, I believe this is my best, cha- my biggest challenge this year. God, I want you to guide my steps. If this is, you know, whatever it is that I go through, I want you to guide my steps as I go through it in 2016. Let's take a moment in silence and, and go to God. And all God's people said, amen. Now, number two, because God is in control, my problems have a purpose. If he's in control, my problems have a purpose. And that's good news. Because as I said, life is not a series of random events that have no meaning. Life is not just accidents that just come and go. Life has meaning. Life has purpose. And if you're a believer, nothing comes into the life of a believer. Christian, hear me. Nothing comes into your life as a believer without the Heavenly Father's permission. Everything that happens in your life, even the bad, is Father-filtered. It can't come into your life without His permission. 
So if he permits it in my life and God is a God of purpose, that means every problem that I have has a purpose. Now I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that every, everything that happens to you is God's will. God's evil is not God's will. And sometimes evil happens in and through us. That's not the will of God. In fact, that's why we pray. Remember what Jesus told his disciples to pray? One of the things that he said in that prayer is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why is that? Because it's not always done. We don't always live by God's will. And certainly people around us in our lives and maybe that have some kind of effect or impact on us don't. So pray that God's will will be done. And I'm not saying that God causes everything that happens either, and he doesn't. God doesn't cause your problems. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, for, for us, God doesn't have to cause our problems. We do a pretty good job causing our own. But he does permit them. And he does use them for good in our lives, in the grand design, in the greater scheme of things, if we will cooperate with his plan, if we trust him, if we maintain the right attitude through the trials and the tribulations we go through. You see, God doesn't cause your problems but he does permit them. Didn't put, you got some example of that from the Bible? Let me give you an example of the Apostle Paul. Paul spent a lot of time in his ministry years in jail, didn't he? He did. He was arrested on several occasions. And one particular occasion, he was arrested and he's put in a jail cell in the city of Rome. And he was there for a good bit of time. Now, God didn't say, it wasn't like God put Paul in jail. He didn't. The Romans did. The government did. But God allowed Paul, while he was in prison, for that period of time, he said, we're not going to waste this time. We're not going to waste this problem that you got. Because Paul would rather have been out and about going to city to city and winning people to Jesus and preaching the gospel and establishing churches because he was a missionary, and that's what missionaries do. He wasn't about that in jail. So God said, oh, great. Here's an opportunity, Paul, for you to do something that's going to have an eternal impact. Somebody tell me, what did Paul do during that period of time when he was in jail? He wrote scripture. And a lot of the books in the New Testament are what we call prison epistles. They are letters that the apostle Paul wrote to churches while he was in prison. Now, who wants to be in prison? Nobody. But God said, you know what? We're not going to waste this opportunity, Paul. Here's a great, you're in jail. Man, we're going to wait. Not that it surprised God, but we're going to use this for something great. And he used God, and Paul, God used Paul to write scripture. You know, God could have said to Pharaoh when Moses came down from the mountain and back to Egypt, God could have said to Pharaoh when Moses said, God says, let my people go. And God could have said to Pharaoh, say yes. But he didn't. He allowed Pharaoh to say no to Moses 10 times. Why? So uh, following each of those 10 refusals, God could perform miracles that the people of God, the Hebrew people would never forget and they could see the mighty acts of God. What do you mean they never forget? You understand that every year right before our Easter, the, the Jewish people celebrate what? Passover which is a remembrance of what God did thousands of years ago in Egypt because Pharaoh said no. God could have kept, think about this one. God could have kept Jesus off the cross. He could have, but he didn't. And the reason why he didn't, and one of the things we learn about God from this, it's a whole lot more than this, but God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. That's the kind of God he is. 
He loves to bring the good out of bad. He loves to bring something better out of some, something evil. He loves to bring growth out of pain and hurt. That's what God does. And that's why he's an expert at it, turning things around, even if he didn't cause them. He's an expert at recovery. He doesn't want to waste anything. And because God says that, my problems that I'll experience, yours as well in 2016, whatever they might be, our problems as a church, whatever they might be, they have a purpose. And because I know that, I can relax because no matter what happens this next year, God's going to show up, come up with a purpose behind it. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 say, you rejoice in this. He's talking to people who are being persecuted. Now we know of people in this world right now, Christian people who are being persecuted, all right? I mean really persecuted, severely, losing their lives, fleeing from their homes, Peter's writing to these same kind of people and he says, you rejoice in this though now for a short time you have had to be distressed. Had to be, that means this was necessary. You've had to be distressed by various trials. Why? So that the genuineness of your faith, your faith, is it the real deal? This will determine. The genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes, the gold perishes, though refined by fire, so that the genuineness of your faith may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God wasn't saying to them at all, what you're going through is an accident. Not at all. Remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Are you familiar with that story? If you're not, ask your kids. They just studied it not long ago. But remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph, you know, he's... he's um, he had this saying at the end of the story when his brothers come to Egypt to ask, plead with him for their help and they didn't know he was their brother. They had sold him into slavery years before and had not heard anything from him and he reveals his identity to them and they think he's gonna kill us, he's gonna have us executed and Joseph looked and he had these powerful words to say to them. He says, you know back in those days when I was a teenager and you sold me to that caravan and they brought me into Egypt as a slave and you told dad I'd been killed by wild animals, you guys meant that for bad. That was an evil thing you did. You meant it for bad, but he says he was able to look back on the years and say, but you know what I figured out? God meant it for what? For good. God had a good purpose behind that. His brothers had cheated him. They mistreated him. They sold him into slavery. He ended up being falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. All kinds of bad things happened to this young man, but God was working in it and he ends up second in command in the nation of Egypt at that time, the most powerful nation in the world, second only to the Pharaoh. And because he has that power and that authority, he not only saved his own people, but he saved the nation of Egypt as well. And he says to his brothers, hey, you know what? You guys, you meant it for bad, but God had a purpose for this. He meant it for good. So what's the key? to my response to the problems that may come, let's just say will come in my life. Anybody ever gone through a year with no problems? Okay, let's, let's say for the problems that, I don't think 2016 is going to be much different unless we go to heaven right now. What's going to be my response to the problems that come in my life this year? If I know God's in control and I know my plans have a limit, and I know my problems have a purpose, what is my response? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 
Look what the scripture says. Therefore, we do not give up. We don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed. You know what your outer person is? That's your physical body. And it's being destroyed, isn't it? Um, As we get older, you know, we can't do the same things. We have aches and pains. We're not able to do the same things that we were able to do when we were younger. That's just a fact of life as our outer body is being destroyed. As my outer body is being destroyed, the Bible says, our inner person, your spirit, is being renewed day by day. So what's the correct key to response to the problems is that that I'm going to go through next year is to the, very simply this, look past the pain to the purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. The Bible says, what, are we, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? We just sang that a few moments ago. If God's for us, what do we say to all the bad things that might come in my life this year? If God is for me, who's bigger than God? Who's stronger than God? Who's against us? The message paraphrase says, so what do you think with God on our side like this? How can we lose? I have a hope, the Bible tells me as a Christian. You do too. And that hope has a name and his name is Jesus Christ. He's our hope. Our hope's not in the government. Our hope's not in the economy. It's not in society. It's not even in my own family. My hope has a name, and the name is Jesus Christ. If God be for me, who can be against me? Now, do you think for a moment, Christian, do you think that anyone's going to be able to drive a wedge between you and Christ's love for you? Anyone or anything? No way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins in, that, are, that could ever be committed can separate you from God's love. And none of those things Paul was saying in that passage phase us because Jesus loves us. Now, we read verse 31, but Paul concludes this way in that passage. And let me read it from the message paraphrase. It's a great, great paraphrase. He said, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead. Now, he's not talking about zombies, okay? Nothing living or dead, that might mean things that have happened in my past that have gone to the grave with somebody else that I'm still haunted by, that I'm still guilt-ridden by. He said nothing can happen, not living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable. What are some unthinkable things that could happen? Ask the people, the Christians in Syria. Thinkable or unthinkable, nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way Jesus, our master, has embraced us. And this is the hope of the new year. That's the hope of the rest of your life. And the hope is very simply this. God is in control. My plans have a limit, but I don't care because he's in charge and my problems have a purpose and he'll handle them. He'll help me through 2016. The one thing you can count on, he's in control. Would you bow with me in prayer?
Lord, we need to come to that place in our lives where we indeed recognize that you're in control, that you are God and, and I am not. And that I surrender myself, I surrender my life to that truth that, that I give you control. And as I look, look at the things that come my way this year and this, and this new year, Lord, and I, I know there's going to be things that, are, that I don't know about, I have no idea are going to come. I, I don't want to be knocked down and stomped on by them, Lord. So I want to trust you with them. If I make the wrong choices, would you please turn me around? Help me admit that they're wrong. If things happen in my life that I have over which I have no control, because I didn't make the choice, Lord, help me to understand that even those things have limits and you still are able to take the bad and turn it into good somehow. That's your miraculous power. So I pray, Lord, that this morning we as a people, as individuals and as a, as a body of believers would say, Lord, you're in control. And I surrender the control of my life over to you. My year, my family, my career, whatever, my marriage, whatever it might be, I give you control. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to continue this message in three Sundays, which would be the 20-something, 24th, I guess, um, and bring out that third point, which is going to be about prayer and then also talking about having a spiritual basis for your life. Um, because really none of what I said this morning applies if you don't have the right spiritual base in your life. And we'll talk about how to have that. Hope you'll be back for that. Next Sunday, uh, Larry Benson's going to be sharing with us. Larry and Sheila, and they're here in this gathering. This is their home church, and they're missionaries in Honduras. And they've been here with us for several weeks and be here for a little bit longer. And, and every time Larry comes home, um, he always invite Larry to get come have a Sunday and preach to us. And Larry always, uh, Larry, you always seem to hit a home run. So I don't want to put any pressure on you, all right? But Larry always... <laughs> Sheila, you're going to have to help him write. Sheila, help him write a sermon this week, okay? But Larry, um, Larry always uh, has something really profound from the Word to bring us, and I look forward to that. So I hope you'll be back next Sunday at 9 and 11. Two weeks from today, not next Sunday, but two weeks from today is our annual family day. And on family day in January, we only have one gathering. We'll just meet at 11 o'clock, so we're really going to pack this room out. Plus, we're going to bring the kids who are up in Cowabunga Cove. They're going to be in here with us. We're going to be singing some of their songs. They got some really cool songs that we're going to learn. You're going to have a lot of fun with that. We'll be teaching some things, just some basic things about the faith to them at their level in here. And we'll have a great time. And we follow that gathering after it's 11 o'clock. We follow it up with a potluck lunch. So we're going to ask you to bring some food. And we've already got tables set up in here. And we'll um, just sit around and eat and enjoy one another's company after that on the, 20, on the 2017th. All right, two weeks from today. All right, got too many dates floating around in my head. On the 23rd, that Saturday, is when we'll be inviting you to come in Saturday morning from 10 to 11.30 and, and hear about the, the next big step uh, for, for us here at Nags Head Church, kind of a visionary meeting. And so I hope you'll be here um, for that. So I think that kind of covers the things I wanted to tell you about that are coming up in, in January. Hope you have a great, great, fabulous new year. All right, not everything's gonna go perfect, is it? No, no. And, uh, but whatever happens, the one thing you can count on is what? God is in control, all right? Let's stand together and have a word of prayer.
I'm going to hang out um, when we're done. If I can, if you need to talk or pray or anything, I'd love to, to say hi to you. If you're a first-time guest, please be sure I get to meet you, all right? Thanks, God, for, um, for your word, and thank you for the truth that it is. And sometimes the word, it's truths are hard for us to swallow and hard for us to imagine because your ways are higher than ours. But thank you that you are a God who cares and a God who loves, and uh, nothing's going to come into my life. Nothing that hasn't been filtered by you. What can stand against us if you're for us? And we thank you for that reality because of the grace of Jesus Christ, not because of anything that we are or what we've done, but because of who you are. We ask God you'll give us a wonderful first week of the year. We get back to work and get back to school and get back to normal routine. I pray, God, that you'll enthuse us with your presence, your spirit in us and the gospel and make a difference, not only in our lives, but in the lives of people around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Have a great week. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.